Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Duncan Lamont, Head of Research and Analytics within the Product and Solutions Division and I'm pleased to be joined on today's call by Keith Waite. So with economic figures disappointing, there's been a real shift in market expectations for future interest rate policy in the US. Markets currently pricing in two rate cuts this year and a further two next year. This is a massive shift if you remember that one rate hike was priced in at the start of the year. I'm sure this is one of the hot topics for discussion at the monthly macro meeting that took place yesterday and as a result it's a great time to have Keith here to get his take. Keith's also been doing some new work around geopolitics recently and I'm looking forward to discussing some of that with him. I think it's fascinating and it's so important at the moment. I'm sure our listeners will love to hear more about it. Before we go into that however, a quick recap on developments elsewhere. In very simple terms, the first four months of the year were great for risk assets, then May was awful. June? Well, things have been looking up a bit once again. Markets responding positively to expectations that monetary policy could be easier than previously thought. Um, UK, US, European equities are actually all up in a quarter to date, basis by almost 2%, but Japanese and emerging markets still down by 3 to 4% this quarter. Credit markets not in quite such fine fettle. Although spreads have tightened this month, they are still wider than they were at the start of the quarter, so a bit more pessimism there. And behind all this, we've got a global economy, which is like a wobbly bike, according to Keith's note last week. Alongside that weak economic data, we've also had China-US trade tensions and President Trump's sabre-rattling Mexico with threats of tariffs, although he ultimately stepped back from them when a new deal on migrants were, was agreed. It is worth noting that as far as he was concerned, this was a win for Trump, as he was able to connect the migrant deal with his threat of tariffs. And as we all know how much he likes winning, this is likely to embolden him rather than make him reconsider any of those tactics. So, Keith, we heard some of your views on um, bond markets and interest rates last week with Phil Chandler. But for those who missed that, can you just give us a recap of where you see things at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thank you, Duncan. Um, It's great to be here. Yes, yeah, so we have seen quite a big shift in, in market expectations over the last week or two. Um, and we are now seeing interest rate markets discounting Fed rate cuts. So uh, our forecast had been for interest rates to be cut in 2020. That was part of the, the general slowdown in global economic activity. But it seems that those cuts now are going to have to be brought forward. Um, and it was interesting actually last week that uh, Jerome Powell, when he was speaking at a, a Fed conference, which wasn't about the, the near-term outlook. It was more about longer-run issues. But he did actually go out of his way to say that the Fed would set policy so that the recovery would be sustainable. And people saw that as a very clear hint that he would be cutting rates quite soon. And, and is that is that is he being driven by economic developments or is he being driven by the markets and do we actually have a Powell put that we're, that we're, we're starting to see emerge? Well, it's it's looking a little bit like a Powell put, but I would say that he can actually defend a rate cut because uh, some of the economic data has been pretty soft, uh, particularly like the PMIs that we yep. saw last week in the manufacturing sector. Uh, the retail sales numbers haven't been so good. And then, of course, we had the payroll numbers, which were much softer than anybody expected. So the activity side looks like it's slowing down and uh, you know we've been making the point consistently so far this year that we would see a slowdown in Q2 because of the inventory cycle and that seems to be coming through as companies 
begin to run down some of the inventory that they built up. And then on the inflation side, there isn't really a lot to stop the Fed from easing because inflation mm. has been very well behaved. It's very close to, slightly below target. We get more inflation data coming out this week, but we do not really see inflation as being a big obstacle to cutting rates. So I feel that he, he can cut rates and say, yes, this is within my mandate. I think he might present it as a sort of insurance cut because there isn't a, a sort of completely clear reason why he needs to ease very aggressively. Um, but I think he could move. I would say, though, that the markets are sort of pushing him more than him leading the markets. And that's, that's quite a big change from, say, this time last year, where actually it was seen as though it was being driven by economic developments. And then actually the turmoil in the fourth quarter last year suddenly brought about this change and said, well, actually, is 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 it markets are actually um, being the driver here? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it's looking more like markets are in charge. And, mm. and I think one of the things that will be in Jerome Powell's head is that he would not necessarily want to have a rerun of what happened last December when he raised rates and the markets were very much against that. And, of course, we then saw a lot of volatility in the financial markets. And I think that's something he would, he would certainly want to avoid. So if we've got so... I think about a week ago there was three rate hikes, three rate cuts priced in for this year. We're down to two now. Mm. That suggests that if there is not a cut and if there's not some encouraging noises from the Federal Reserve that we could actually see some of that that negative market reaction. It's possible. I mean, I don't think they have to cut at the next meeting, but they certainly okay. have to give a give a hint. And I think that hint would probably come in the form of the uh, the dots, the famous projections that the Fed puts together uh, for how it sees interest rates going forward. Uh, at the moment, there's a big gap between those dots and where the market is. So the market's obviously looking for cuts, as you say, and the Fed dots are for another rate rise. So we will see, I think, a bit of a change on the dots, probably some rate cuts coming in. And then I would expect them probably to cut interest rates in, in July. And when will, we, when will we get the updated dots from the FOMC? Well, we'll get those next week. We'll get all week. the economic projections from them. Uh, well, they'll, they'll outline their view of the US economy, uh, growth, inflation, and then they'll have the interest rates as well. Okay, fine. So we could get some more colour in the fairly near term. We will. Um, and I guess if we think about those dots, plots um, for a moment. One of the other important parts there is the so-called long-term kind of neutral rate that is part of the projections. And before the crisis, this was much higher. It's been cut quite considerably. It was about 2.75% as their neutral rate at the last set of dots. But what we seem to be seeing is actually the the US economy can't actually handle rates that are actually at a lower level than that. And they may even have gone too far already. Does that are we really in a world where actually the neutral rate of interest rates could be neither to 2% than, than 3%? Well, this is a really interesting point because uh, it did seem pretty clear you know, last year they were aiming to get interest rates up to that kind of neutral rate of interest. And mm. that was partly why they sort of marched rates up. Now, uh, 2019 comes along and the economy starts weakening. Uh, the judgment really will be how much of that is just reflecting the weakness of the underlying growth rate of the US economy, or is it just due to the external environment becoming just much more difficult than anybody anticipated? Uh, and, you know, as always, there is a bit of both. I mean, we've argued, and, and, you know, we've talked about the inescapable truths, we've argued about the demographics and the productivity and how the underlying rate of growth in the world economy could be weaker. So that's, that's consistent with that. But it has to be said that the external environment has been 
been pretty difficult this year. Global trade has not really shown much signs of recovery. So that's clearly weighing on growth. So, you know, it has to be pitched somewhere between those two. But at the moment, it's looking a bit like they may have over tightened a little bit last year mm. and they're going to have to ease a little bit this year. So I guess that's another thing to watch in those dots. If there's any movement in that longer term neutral rate as well, then that would be given a pretty clear steer that they're seeing this not just as a, a cyclical phenomenon, but actually something which does have a bit more of a structural underpinning. Absolutely, um, that's right. And at least one thing, it could be that if we are moving into the easing cycle now, that you know the 2.5% may prove to have been the peak in rates in this cycle. And then we're going to see rates come down again over the next 12 months. Yeah. So I guess this 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 all holds together perfectly for financial markets for the federal reserve for the economy so long as we don't get any scares from inflation uh, what, what you said earlier it doesn't seem like there's there's much inflation coming through at the moment but are, are there any risks there that we should be concerned about well that's interesting because it seems that the markets are really discounting any real pickup in inflation and certainly inflation expectations in the market have remained very, very subdued. But we are quite late cycle and we've always emphasised that inflation responds with very long lags to growth. So the pickup in growth that we've had over the last couple of years could still feed through to higher inflation. And in fact, in our forecasts, we do have core inflation in the US picking up from where it is today at around about two picking up to about two and a half percent over the next year. So that could actually be something that might kind of upset things a little bit. We have to remember as well that the tariffs that have been going yeah. on are very stagflationary. They they push up prices and whatever Donald Trump may say, China has not been cutting its prices that, that, that it's been selling into the US. If anything, it's just been keeping them stable. So the people, uh, the importers in the US have had to pay the tariffs on top of uh, the, the usual import prices, and they've been passing that on to the consumer. So it's the consumer who's been paying for these extra uh, tariffs that have been going on, and that could add to uh, more inflation going forward if Donald Trump follows through with his threats about pushing up more tariffs onto China. I think that's really fascinating, this idea that the, the tariffs were supposed to improve US competitiveness and harm mm -hmm. the profitability of Chinese producers, but actually they are being passed through entirely and being the pain has been felt by US consumers. Well, that's right. I mean, it does vary from market to market, but, you know, and over time, it may be that US consumers and, and, and retailers can find other suppliers who can supply the goods rather than China. Uh, it's interesting that we're seeing a bit of trade diversion going on. Uh, so, for example, there seems to have been a real surge in exports out of Vietnam into the US, which looks to us a little bit like uh, goods being diverted that would have come from China, they're being diverted via Vietnam. So there are all these sort of different ways around the tariffs, but we know that eventually those will be closed down and companies will have to find other suppliers uh, in order to be able to get their, their, their prices down and avoid the tariffs. So, so just on that point there, so exports from China have fallen, but it looks like there has been an almost matching increase in exports from Vietnam. So rather than mm. the goods not coming across. They're actually just going via slightly circuitous route yeah. to um, give the appearance that they are not Chinese goods. They're getting a, they're getting a stamp, a Vietnam stamp on them <laughs> and going on to the US. That, that, that's, that will probably get kind of picked up on and that, that won't persist, will it? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's very clear in the data, so we can see that it's happening. <laughs> so, 
So uh, it's something they will they will certainly play. It's creative, if, if nothing else. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I guess we've got this situation where you're expecting core inflation to rise, mm. and then there is the inflationary impact of the tariffs as well. That could give the Fed a real put them in a bit of a bind. If you've got slowing growth, rising inflation, it's almost the worst position they want to find themselves in for what they do with policy. It could be, and I think this is one of the things that could make Donald Trump think. Um, and one of the reasons why we believe there will be a deal done between the US and China, because ultimately uh, Trump knows that putting these tariffs on, despite what he says, it is going to hit the consumer. And if he puts 25% tariff on the remaining $300 billion worth of imports from China, that will be felt by the consumer pretty quickly because it will be on things like clothing and footwear, electronics, goods that are really very visible, and you will see those prices rise. So he will want to avoid that. So we don't think he'll do that. But all the same, we could see core inflation rising, as we say in our base case. And I think then it's up to the Fed. They're having a conference um, at the moment talking about, you know, should... They allow the economy to run a little bit hot, allow inflation mm. to go over target for a period at the end of the cycle, because they know that once the economy slows down again, inflation will come down. And they don't want to be stuck in the kind of situation that Japan and I would say the Eurozone are finding themselves in where inflation is just too low and they can't get inflation up. So if inflation goes up to about two and a half, you could say, well, the Fed probably wouldn't be that worried about it. If there were tariffs and inflation went up to three or higher, and I think that could become a real concern. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate to that slightly. So tariffs, in a way, increase the price level, but the so there's a one-off shock to inflation, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily going to be a persistent increase in future inflation unless there's further tariff rises. And in the same way that central banks would look through commodity-related um, inflation to an extent, it does that leave um, some breathing space they could do the same with regard to the tariffs and say, yes, inflation's risen, but actually, even if it goes up to 3%, we don't feel like we have to act because we see this as a one-off? Absolutely. They, they could say that. I, the key thing there will be inflation expectations and the labour market wage demands, whether we see uh, labour markets begin to push up wages. Uh, and of course, we're in a very late cycle, unemployment very low, big scarcity of labour. If headline rates of inflation were to pick up, a lot of workers will say, well, you know, hang on, you know, we're a scarce commodity at the moment. We would like a, a bigger wage rise. And then that creates this risk of a wage price spiral that then sees prices being passed on. The wage costs then get priced on, passed okay. on. And that's what the Fed would want to avoid. So, so, so the tariffs in themselves would be they could be comfortable with that as a one-off, but if that starts to be reflected in higher inflation expectations, then you get a feedback look, and actually that's, exactly. the, that's when they get worried. And that's when the Fed would have to respond, because they would be worried that they'd end up in a wage price spiral. Yeah. I guess, suppose, if we look at break-evens at the moment, which, as you said, haven't been moving at all, there's no concerns for them coming from that side. Absolutely none at all. Okay. Yeah, they're less than 2%. Yeah. Changing gear a little bit right now, I know you've been doing some really interesting work around geopolitics. Um, it, some of it came out of the work we had at the Thought Leadership Annual Forum at the start of the year. Um, I wonder if you could just kind of talk to that a little bit to tell people about some of the work you've been doing, um, what its potential um, relevance is, because I know that it's, it's a really big topic and it's something that's kind of unavoidable at the moment, yeah, geopolitics. Absolutely, it is. And I think, uh, and maybe just sort of 
taking up on the the point about the US-China, I mean, we are talking about a deal, but I don't think that will really be the end of the story. I think we are going to consistently see these tensions between the US and China. And maybe it will turn into more of a tech war, which is the kind of thing that's been building up recently. But two key points from the paper that will will come out quite soon. First of all, the world has changed. Uh, US and China now are sort of equals. Uh, it's no longer the case that the US is really the big leader of, of the world economy. The GDP of China is, is approaching and will soon match that of the US. So, mm. you know, in international negotiations, the two carry equal weight. It's still the case, of course, that US GDP per head is is greater, but in terms of the, the size of these two economies, yep. they're very similar. And that changes the dynamic. So the US is no longer going to be the big free trader, multilateral institutions, uh, looking for deregulation, reducing tariffs everywhere, because it knows that it will benefit most from that environment. It's no longer in that environment. It now knows there's another sort of competitor on the block who can also benefit a lot from that. So it kind of makes the US want to look more for bilateral rather than multilateral deals. So that's the the first thing. So those tensions will persist. Uh, so that's the idea that global trade doesn't just, and global kind of accords don't just benefit the US. They also mm. now benefit China as well. And actually, they are seeking to, I guess, retain to as much as possible their place in the, the global order. Exactly. And see, so the, because there are costs in maintaining the multilateral trading system, and there are costs in being the leader and then policing the, mm. the system and so on. And, you know, what, what we believe the US is saying now is that, well, actually, those costs are kind of outweighing a lot of the benefits because we're not getting quite so much benefit now. It's actually yeah. a lot of that benefit's going to China and so on. So they've kind of, they still want to trade, but they're, they're trying to change the dynamic and be do more bilateral rather than multilateral negotiation. So that creates more tensions, basically. That's, that's, that's what that's about. Uh, and the second one, really, which relates very closely to that, is really the rise of populism. Um, you know, a lot of the discussions that I have with investors and clients, people are saying, well, you know, tariffs are just crazy. You know, this doesn't benefit anybody. It just leads to higher prices and all the rest. But that's not the way that populists look at it. They're looking at it from the point of view that they've got a lot of people who support them who have not done well in the economic environment yeah. over the last few years or the last decade or so. One of the reasons they haven't done well is because they've been losers from globalization. So this is a way of kind of reversing globalization and trying to bring jobs back. You know, I mean, that's what America First is all about. You know, bring jobs back. So putting tariffs on steel, first of all, was a very clear signal there. You know, Trump really went out and said, right, you know, the steel industry in the, in America, they can now uh, boost their production. And they have done, and they've benefited a bit from that. But of course, it's not the most efficient way of producing steel. And the car manufacturers have moaned about this. GM and Ford have talked about an extra billion dollars worth of cost. As far as Trump's concerned, that doesn't matter. He's not into an optimal global allocation of resources. Yeah. He wants to help his voter base. And that's, you know, that's the important thing. So I think that you know, tariffs and tensions between countries will, will continue. And it won't just be the US and China, but it could be between the EU and the US. And it will be between you know, China and other countries as well. Yeah, it feels 
does it, that the political landscape does push people into more that nationalistic behaviour, and it's almost a continuation of within US politics the trend of say the last couple of decades, which has becoming more less interested in international issues and more on on the domestic economy, and all of the rhetoric has been around. Um, domestic issues rather than mm. foreign policy. To, Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you see the same thing here in the UK with Brexit. Yeah, it's a um, manifestation of a similar thing. And so, that, so the work you've done is highlighting some of these changes we're having in the environment. Um, and have you also been looking at what that might mean for um, markets as well? We have, yes. And uh, we've been looking at the way that uh, investors might respond. So we've been using uh, an indicator called um, the GPR, uh, Geopolitical Risk Index, which is created by uh, scanning uh, newspapers and financial press for you know, mentions of keywords. And you know, what you find is that during periods of geopolitical tension, this indicator will pick that up and moves, moves up. Okay. Uh, and so what we've done is we've tried to use that as a sort of switching signal and saying, well, could fund managers take advantage of this uh, by switching from, say, risky assets into safe assets? And we do find some evidence that there, there is a payoff, there is a benefit from doing that. So we're trying to think, well, you know, how could we make this as a sort of practical way of responding to this? You know, could fund, should fund managers do this? Or should they just try and ride out the storm? Because, you know, after all, in the past, we have actually seen, you know, wars flare up, you know, in the Middle East, what have you. But they've then faded away again. And investors, may, if they could ride through this, then they could say, well, I could ignore geopolitical risk because I know I'm going to come out the other side. More recently, the level of geopolitical risk has become quite heightened. So these things, I think, are probably going to become more significant. Yeah, and certainly, I guess, the the geopolitical tensions between the US and China feels that that is, as you said, it's not going to end with the current trade uh, disputes. That's going to be an ongoing mm. power battle. Um, and in that sense, it's harder to just look through that and see it'll sort itself out by the end of the year when actually there's going to be probably a lot more, more of that to come. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Okay, thanks, Keith. I, I really enjoyed today's um, talk. Lots of really interesting subjects. Um, I guess in summary, the two main points would be there is probably a pretty good chance, we think, now the Fed is going to cut rates in July um, and next week's dot plot will probably give a clearer guide to the, their intentions. Um, and the second is just that geopolitics is, is really unavoidable uh, today and there is some content that's going to be coming out from you in the near future which will start to um, kind of get that dialogue going a bit more, which I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to, to hearing. Thank you. So that, thank you very much. And thank you for everybody for listening to today's podcast.